1: To Out of Character, a podcast about sketch and character comedy. My name is Alex Lynch. In this show, I chat to writers and performers from the world of sketch and character comedy, find out what made them venture into it, talk about their characters, maybe meet some of their characters, and generally just shoot the breeze and, more importantly, have a laugh. My special guest for episode 12 is the writer, performer, and author, Fran Bush. Hello, Fran.
2: Hi, Alex. Hello, episode twelve.
1: Episode twelve, or episode two of the second series, or if we're counting the two parters, episode fourteen. Didn't really think this through, did I? <laughs> it's a, it's a number.
2: Hey, what, what are numbers? We're all just here in this podcasty experience. <laughs>
1: Exactly. Well, thank you for being here with me in this podcasting experience. You're very welcome. You, uh, you're currently, uh, you've got your own podcast on the go, haven't you?
2: I do have my own podcast on the go. I think everyone's got a podcast on the go at the minute, haven't they? A podcast <laughs> in their pocket or a podcast up their sleeve. Yeah. Just a little podcast I've been working on. Um, <laughs> yes, it's a. Uh, it's not out yet. Um, the podcast is talking to people about sex and um, about their bodies. And it's called uh, My Broken Vagina, Conversations About Sex. And
1: the reason you are doing this is because it is all linked to your brand new book, My Broken Vagina. Yeah. Let's let's rewind. Let's do this in the chronological order. So, sketch. Mm. Uh, tell yes. me about how you sort of got into that... And what made you sort of choose comedy in the first place?
2: Yeah, I um, I really didn't expect to end up working in comedy. And it actually still now really confuses me how I've ended up here. Um, I, think, I think I didn't really think I was very funny, um, which I imagine is actually probably what a lot of comedians think about themselves. And the ones that think they're hilarious probably aren't. That funny um so yeah I it's a, a real surprise to me I was an actor um and I was doing very serious parts um mostly uh, young women that had well where where is my husband gone oh no when will he come back from the sea um when will he come back from war like terrible <laughs> advert auditions all the time where you had to look sort of stoic and drink a stellar artois whilst looking into the distance, mistily
1: <laughs> And say, when's um, my husband coming back? When's
2: he coming back from the war? <laughs> He's bringing back all the venereal diseases, but I can't wait to see him. Um, yeah, I, and I just, I don't know, I think actually finding comedy, which sounds really wanky, but is probably true, was much more about like learning to make my own work because I'd been an actor and was very frustrated with all of these terrible parts. I was, I mean, very grateful to have, but just felt really the same over and over again. Um, And yes, a comedy kind of came to me at the point where I was like, oh, actually, I much more enjoy having a bit more power over my work and going, actually, well... I don't need permission to write something like I don't need someone to say you're allowed to write now or you're allowed to make something <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: um I mean I, I still like that I still like people to say now now you must write something that is nice <laughs> um yeah. but I think I thought I was gonna be like a very serious playwright or make serious drama mm. and I ended up um taking a course at Soho Theatre and it was the sketch comedy course and so they had an age limit on it you had to be under 25 and i was so close to being 25 i think i think maybe i even turned 25 during oh, really? the, yeah the, the the course of the course um <laughs> and i but I was like, do you know what, I think I was a teacher at the time as a day job and I was doing terrible auditions around that and I, but I was like, do you know, I, I need something, I need something else. I don't feel like I'm. I'm not nourishing the creative part of myself enough and I signed up for this course even though I was almost too old to do it. It's so rubbish that the creative opportunities like that dry up. After twenty-five,
1: yeah, it's also um, that kind of like uh, once you reach twenty-six, it's like no, you 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 know what you're doing with your life, like you oh, know all like all, all the ra- like all the rail discounts go, <laughs> and we're still somehow even though like society has changed a lot, there's still that thing of like. You know, oh well. Have you not bought your house by the time you're 27?
2: Oh no, I've got everything. Everything figured out. I really do. I'm. I um I have emerged. It's that word "emerging artist" that they always put in <laughs> things. And you're like, well, what point? What point have I bloomed? I'm, when do I stop emerging? When am I like not like a caterpillar that's a little bit stuck in its cocoon still? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and now, I mean age limits got pushed up to 30 on things and and now I mean I'm 34 now um and I'm I've still not fully emerged and still don't really understand how a a mortgage works or if I will ever be able (laughs) to get one but um yeah so I think I think that sort, those sort of courses, those sort of opportunities, should be available. I want to be doing courses when I'm 95. <laughs> I won't be emerging. I will have emerged at 95. Um, <laughs> but the the course was run by Lee Griffiths from Late mm-hmm. Night Gimp Fight. Um, yes. And I I remember the first. I went to the first session and I nearly didn't go back because I got there. And everyone was so confident and so funny. And I, fe- I felt like sort of a fish that wasn't, it wasn't even out of water. It was like it had gone out of the water, was over the road, was trying to make it to a nearby <laughs> pond, was maybe even trying to head for the ocean, sort of Finding Nemo style. Um, and I, yeah, I really just didn't think that I could do it because I always forget like comedy is really scary yes I teach it now I'm I actually I teach the course that I was on so I'm the sketch sketch comedy teacher at Soho Theatre um and I always just have to remind myself I was like god it's so brave to come to a room and go do you know what I think I could be funny I think I love comedy and I want to give this a go in front of complete strangers Yes. Um, normally. And so, yeah, I always have to remind myself of that when I have students and I'm like, get on stage, come on, let's do this. <laughs> but also, also, well done, this is really scary. You're amazing. Um,
1: yeah, there's another Fran in there mm. who's the, the sort of uh, experiencing the same thing. What made you decide to go back then? If you were sort of like, Quite close to quitting with yeah. the course. What made? What was it that made you kind of go? Oh, I'll, I'll try this again.
2: So um, it was actually one of the other people on the course um, who, at the end of the session, came up to me and was like, "Oh, actually, you were you were really great. It's really nice to have you." in the group and um, I'm looking to maybe make a sketch group and I wondered if you fancied being in it. So I, I think, yeah, the, the afternoon that I thought had just gone terribly and had been awful. Um, yeah. Like, oh, oh, actually, that was all going on in my head. And maybe that wasn't what it was like yeah, in real yeah. life, uh, which again, I'm always when I have my students. Um, at the end of every class, I'm like, "Tell, go tell someone um, uh, something that you think they did that was amazing today," because, like, in my head, I know that that's that could be the difference between someone wanting to carry on, yes, um, and and not, um, and and that person uh, was Pazita, who I then was in a sketch group with, um, Kitten Killers, and it sort of just went from there and mm. it was so liberating being yes. a, in charge of making your own work like it was a lot of comedies a lot of admins sometimes
1: <laughs> oh god i know yeah. um
2: and you're suddenly you're like well oh god i i thought we'd be doing more more writing and performing but somehow we're trying to <laughs> <laughs> like condense our entire show into a 15 word blurb. And that's taken 14 hours, but we're also, we've got a spreadsheet open um, mm. and we're trying to work out the finances of it, but we're also <laughs> uh, making sure that we're replying to people and uh, being on top of everything. Um, yes. It is uh, interesting when you, when you do start making your own work, that you're like oh actually we are we're a, th- a sort of theater company now we we are a company yeah, yeah um and yeah I guess no one really no one really tells you about that bit but um it's been really really useful to have those skills as well because um like going into other projects been like oh actually no I I know how to to budget? Yes. It's so boring. Maybe I have emerged. Maybe I am a grown-up.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> You've actually just been an office job this whole oh, time. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, listeners, you, ju- you just you just heard the moment that I emerged mid this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but I felt a change <laughs> in myself.
1: Everyone listening to this is going to be immediately going... This is where my future lies in comedy and admin.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> How long had you all been together before you started doing um, like big shows where you were budgeting and like doing?
2: This, like? <laughs> um. The the glitz, the glamour. Um, Yes. (laughs) So we did a show at the Camden Fringe. Yes. I think we had tried to book an Edinburgh, but it had been a bit last minute and actually probably the best thing that we didn't end up going that year when we hadn't been together very long at all Um, because it gave us a year to really get to know each other and to, I guess... Just, I'm going to use the phrase "fool around" a little bit, but that um, that feels a bit sexy. I think that's quite that fitting for your did. for for maybe, maybe, Hey, it is a little bit what we did. If you want to, <laughs> if if you want to make good comedy, you got to no, no, uh, no. It
1: was a. Uh, it was it was. It was a little bit bawdy, wasn't it?
2: It was a bit bawdy. Um, certainly, I think reviewers definitely thought it was a bit. Uh, I think we were described as burlesque at one point and um huh. yeah I didn't I I couldn't see that but it was uh <laughs> I, I guess really to begin with actually very fast paced sketches so really really short so I think in an hour in our first hour I mean the must have been more than 30 sketches that we did. Um, some were just a line long. And I, yeah, I think a reviewer described it as a caffeinated nightmare or a caffeinated dream. I, I can't remember. Um, <laughs> Which I, I think means they loved it. <laughs> <laughs> a,
1: a decaffeinated nightmare is a caffeinated dream.
2: Yeah, that's it. It's just, it depends how, how hard you want your heart to beat <laughs> whilst you're watching
1: it. One thing is though, you guys had, even with the sketches that were just like one line or something, you were, you, you had a lot of props.
2: Oh boy. Yeah, we had a lot of props. <laughs> um, I think one of my defining memories is like going from gig to gig it's almost feeling in a wonderful way like a bit of a like a pack horse because you we had like <laughs> three hobby horses under one arm um and like cardboard cutouts of dinosaurs under another arm and a cave a caveman costume under another arm <laughs> and uh, you'd get all these looks from commuters <laughs> around you and you want to be like oh I'm a comedian. That's that's why I've got all this gubbins. <laughs> um and I think we always said we're like, Oh yeah, one year one year we will write a show that has no props in it. Mm. Um, and that year, <laughs> that year never happened because the truth is that, you know, and you're like, oh, my God, props are delightful.
1: <laughs> there was that one sketch where you were like trapped inside a giant book.
2: Oh, yes. Yeah, that was it. It was a very it was a massive book and um, it had paper over the front page of it. So it, it, the book could open. It was pink and fluffy like a diary. It was my I think it was meant to be my I would say teenage diary. But actually, I think it was my twenty. 29 year old <laughs> diary uh, where I wrote my fan Fran fiction um, in it and yeah so I think th- the book would open and I would burst out of it sort of like a, someone bursting out of a cake but me bursting out of a book. Um,
1: <laughs> you emerged?
2: I did I emerged I emerged every day in Edinburgh <laughs> at the same same time every day 3.45 I think um, perfect time to emerge. <laughs> and um but yeah things like that when you have limitations to work within sometimes it makes your work really great because you're like well we know we've got to carry this thing with us that means we can't take these things or um we we know that we want to have a a really big prop here but this venue doesn't like we can't get it into this venue or it's not going to work because it hasn't got wings and so you you find ways around things and and actually sometimes things not working can bring you the the best comedy um things that go perfect are are really very funny are they like the the more the more things can go wrong and yeah, I remember once i, I was a a clock um on stage it's like a a very very short sketch about being Greenwich Mean Time. Oh yeah. Um, and we had these lovely clock faces with our where our faces would go in the middle of the clock, so we were the clock. And I picked up the the clock and put it on entirely backwards and did the whole sketch, not looking like a clock at all, just looking like a a woman on stage <laughs> with a a cardboard <laughs> circle around her face. But people, it's that thing as well, like you go actually the audience really loved it and laughed loads but if you try to repeat that if you were like oh okay we'll we'll make that go wrong again it probably i'm not saying it definitely wouldn't have but the things that happen in the moment things going wrong in the moment it's really hard to replicate that and try and get that feeling and i have seen groups do that successfully but I don't know. You know when you there's. It's really nice to have those moments of honesty with your audience where you're like, "It's all gone wrong. Um, this prop yeah. was meant to light up. <laughs> uh, I've I've forgotten to come on for a sketch." And I think because the shows yeah. were so fast paced and so chaotic, there was quite a lot of room for for things just to find their own rhythm every show. And I think that made us pretty good performers because we were like well we can handle this at, at the beginning i think we really planned everything and we wanted everything to go right but um by the time we took up stallions uh, which which was a it was a completely different feel of show as well so by the time we were there i think we were much better at handling the crowd um yes. We learned that we really like to talk directly to the crowd and um have that relationship with them and, and get them on stage. Um, we always made sure that we made the audience members feel like heroes, yes because i think we'd we 'd seen <laughs> some comedy where people would come on stage and um and and you can tell if people are feeling uncomfortable sometimes and you 're like oh i don 't think that person wants to be there." But if you if you get someone on stage and you make them feel like they are an absolute champion, like if you even give them a crown or something, um, which I think we did on one occasion, like let them have their amazing moment on stage. Yes. And then people will sort of do anything. Um, Like One year we had a cracker eating challenge on stage where an audience member would would come on and, and try and eat loads of crackers um i got married to an audience i was just member. about to say
1: the 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 yeah you get married every day <laughs> to a different audience member
2: yeah and it's funny because um every so often someone will come up to me and be like my wife and i'm like <laughs> hello <laughs> hello um I, I don't think so. I don't think that's me. Um, and then they'll be like, no, no, in Edinburgh, we got married. Remember, there's a photograph. Um, so I'm like really somewhere should have a log of all of my
0: or husband's...
2: Yeah, because yeah. it's, it's rude, isn't it? If I'm not remembering them all, <laughs> you've got to really put in some work. Marriage is a lot. It's yeah. a lot of work.
1: <laughs> That's the Paul quote. Yeah, <laughs> marriage is a lot of work.
2: I know, and I haven't. I haven't really. Uh, you know, I haven't called. I haven't got in touch. I can understand why. Maybe, maybe they're feeling a little bit uh, underloved. <laughs> <laughs>
1: When you were working with Padita and Kat, um, and even uh, Kate at the, in the first show, um, how was it working together, considering you all met on the same course that was kind of teaching you how to write and perform comedy? Mm. Was, were you quite... Was it a bit kind of, that was a good start-off, but really you each had your own style and way you wanted to make comedy, and it just kind of... Like, how, how was the sort of, when you were in the room together, coming up with ideas?
2: Yeah, I mean, we spent a lot of time just chatting. And we also had this idea in our head of what making work should look like. And should shoulds are never very helpful. Um, so I think we thought that maybe we should be more on our feet and more experimenting and, and playing with ideas. But a lot of the time, we would get to Padita's house and she's an amazing cook so we'd eat together and we'd have endless cups of teas I'd eat a lot of biscuits um and whatever had been going on that day for us we'd sort of chat out and I think over time what that meant was that our comedy really came from things that we were experiencing like day to day but in a I guess in a quite a a deep way so um, There's what one year where I'd been doing online dating, and I'd been getting these like really quite aggressively horrible oh, yes. messages. Yeah, and I so I I would share them with the group, and I guess I never thought that they would end up in the show at the end that was just me venting that was me going like can you believe that someone would have the confidence arrogance stupidity <laughs> to send this like this mm. message to me and then like through talking about it I'm going oh actually you know the best comedy at times is really personal but also it has potentially be a bit universal as well so me going oh this is this is really annoying me and then the rest of the group going oh yeah no that is really awful this thing happened to me or this is my experience or my reaction to that and um I think the more we got to know each other the more our personal experiences our personal grievances angers um the more they filtered into our work. Yeah. And so I think what would normally happen is we would chat out our lives and then go away at the end of that and try and, and write something. So from from that example, we came up with a game show, which was to be mm-hmm. played with the audience because we knew we wanted more audience participation um, which was called Tinder or porn, oh, yes. and every <laughs> every audience member had a like a a voting card, a bit like on um, Ready Steady Cook, where you're yes, doing the, yeah. the green green peppers, red tomatoes, <laughs> yeah. and I would read out messages from from dating apps that I'd received, and the audience had to vote whether or not it was messages from tinder or or things (laughs) quotes from a from a porn film um and i think like had i just been like okay i want to write i want to write a sketch about online dating like without having those chats without thinking about like what we wanted for the show which really was we just wanted everyone to have a really great time like yeah we gave everyone Glow bands for their wrists, and uh, just had like loads of tunes, and we wanted to just yes. have a big party atmosphere.
1: Because also the the thing is like the most shocking things are usually the things where you kind of like, well that just seems ridiculous. No one would make. Yeah, you know, that seems too <laughs> ludicrous to make up. It is usually the thing that's real. I'm
2: having that experience at the moment. Um, I'm doing a bit of tv writing and is based on experiences from my 16 year old diary and um I but I'm also really so I'm getting quite used to to writing about myself writing about my own personal experiences but I'm also really keen to to you know expand that and go okay well what happens when this becomes fictional um and the love lovely people that I've been working with they keep being like yeah I really like what you're what you're doing there but what actually happened and then I'll reach for my diary and I'll open my diary and I'm like oh no this is what actually happened and they're like that is better <laughs> because, because it is it is true you know and like no one can write being 16 like an awkward 16 year old who thinks she's bloody Jane Austen you know <laughs>
0: Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
1: If you had to be isolated with any TV comedy character... Who would it be?
2: Um, This is a wild choice.
1: Okay. Um, I,
2: and and I'm actually going to... It is going to be two because I think they come as a pair. Um, yes. I'm going to go for for Patsy and Adina from Ab Fab.
1: Wow. How pissed are you planning on getting?
2: I, I think because, like, I, I was... I was just thinking then, and I was like, maybe I'll go for someone with a lovely house and we'll have a nice time. Um, (laughs) Or someone that will be, like, nice and quiet and calm so we won't kill each other. But I think go out in a, like... a a blaze of champagne, you know, um, we'd have a great time. I, I mean, I would almost definitely turn into the Safi, um, in, in that relationship.
1: You never know, you might turn into, into bubbles.
2: Oh, that would be incredible. I would love to turn into (laughs) bubbles. Yeah. Um, I, I think, to be honest i think after the time we've had i think we all need a bit of uh letting our hair down l- letting off yes. steam and i think they <laughs> would be great fun to do that with
1: that is a wild choice but it, i it i is. totally see your i totally see your um your point of view from it yeah you can go go big or go home
2: well that's it well if sobered stay up, stay home yeah <laughs> sobered up by the time everything is over right and that's uh and then we'll come out into the world and um, we'll be worse for wear, but we'll have had a really nice time.
0: My next in, in this we'll shall
2: the comedy I write, I think, comes from me really liking comedy that makes you feel something um I mean obviously everything makes you feel something hopefully yes but um that makes you go ah oh, or oh. so I think for me because there's a lot of comedy that makes you think yeah you go out and you're like oh, I want to make change now I've seen this there's a lot of comedy that will cheer you up and that is really like valid and brilliant and there's something for everyone I think in comedy isn't there um and that's what it's really great like going to see a mixed bill night because you're like oh yeah actually that that wasn't for me but i've i have learned something from watching it or and then the next person will be completely your your taste and
1: yeah you discover something about yourself don't you yeah yeah you sort of find where you're uh again i suppose your limitations yeah so after uh your shows with Kitten Killers. Mm-hmm. You then stepped into doing a little bit of online character comedy.
2: I did, yeah. Yeah, I really en- enjoyed that. It was fun.
1: I was trying to remember, you had the estate agent, you had Ula the Doula.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then you had the wax, the wax yes, woman. Yes, I did.
2: Um, she was Kate Middleton's waxer, or wanted to be Kate Middleton's waxer. Um, loved waxing, really wanted to be a waxer, but just that hated the fact she had to look at people's private parts all day (laughs) yeah I think I I started by doing a beauty blogger character yes and it was really really fun um and I just every every week I would make a beauty blog yeah and again like working with your limitations like I didn't have a tripod so I'd pile up loads of books to make a tripod (laughs) I had to to record when other people were out of the house. So I had a really limited... But I really committed to doing one a week. And I remember I was going on dates during the same time. And I remember telling someone, I'm really sorry, I can't meet with you for a date. I've got to release my uh, my character video. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe I've got my priorities slightly wrong here. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think even... Even with a lot of those, they all they came from me being really angry about something. For example, the I think the estate agent character. Yes. i had been to see some rooms in houses in London, and they had been like literal cupboards. Some didn't have yeah. windows, um, and but the you know they were still like three hundred thousand pounds for. A, a tiny one bedroom studio in a basement where this the toilet is right next to the bed. and yeah, exactly, and, yeah,
1: oh my God,
2: and it's terrifying. I like, and I just I was so I think i'd I'd grown up really feeling like you know you should get on the property ladder, you should get on the property ladder. And I had that mm. drilled into my head. But then also, my career in comedy was not um, <laughs> was not agreeing with that statement. So <laughs> you mean uh, comedy
1: isn't a financially viable career?
2: I'm actually I'm doing this podcast sitting on a, a whole pile of gold bars, <laughs> and money is 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 des- descending on me from the roof. Uh, it's if you hear any rustling, if there's any.
1: Yeah, yeah any yeah. kind of
2: interference we'll have to
1: e- we'll have to edit out the uh the the coins the
2: clinking the clinking sorry my butler's just come in i'm, <laughs> I'm recording a podcast get out nice. so so cheeky one of one of forty two butlers <laughs> yeah but um i so i i had this estate agent character who tried to sell tiny houses so i think she tried yes. to sell a jam jar dream home yeah,
1: so When you were doing these characters, these online characters, Mm. what made you um, go down more of the autobiographical route and not do a a character show, like taking these characters and doing them live? Were they specifically for online or were they ones you had tried out in the real world? No, I
2: think they they were designed for the internet and... I think the ones that worked better were it's where like the the format fitted the form. Oh,
1: yeah. So like for like the beauty blogs being in the style of Zoella.
2: Yes, I really I it's something I really loved learning about was doing like quick visual jokes. Like on stage, you can't suddenly um, be in the middle of a, a park, you know, when before you were in in your bedroom or yes. you can't. You can't cut away to things so easily, and I really love that. I really love that as a a style. I I think as a punchline, cutting away to somewhere else or to an object or mm, to, to yeah. someone else's expression is is brilliant. Um, and I think it taught me a lot about like rhythm in comedy. Before, like I just got more nervous before I got on stage. So, it like, getting on stage would be a real undertaking. Um, and then also <laughs> afterwards being like, oh, gosh, was that good? Oh, I don't know, like that. Um, I didn't have, like, the same adrenaline rush that I used to have from being on stage.
1: Well, when you were with Kitten Killers? Yeah, I
2: th- I think so. And so online was a really great way, a really contained way of making work. I think also there's a great level of confidence and security that comes from being in a group
1: yes because you're sharing the pies and the lows aren't you
2: (laughs) yeah that's it like if you have a a gig that went well you've got people to celebrate with if you've had a gig that's gone more difficultly then you're like oh you know we've got people to commiserate with and celebrate that it's gone badly together so I I think yeah like the, the shift to suddenly making work doing work on your own is I think you're suddenly very aware that it's just you.
1: <laughs> yes. When you came to do ad libido, then yeah, was that essentially you trying to conquer your stage fright?
2: Um, a little bit. Yeah, I think I think I, I had an idea that I wanted to sort of like uh, just work out how to tell a story on my own and so I was like right so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a go and I but in a really lovely like low pressure way and I didn't think anyone was going to be interested in in what I had to say so I really thought it was going to be like a one-time wonder but a a wonder only for me um that I was going to go and perform like 15 minutes of this show that I had been loosely putting together um And then that could potentially be it because I was so used to being on stage with other people and also like being a writer behind the scenes of things um, that the thought of being on stage on my own was pretty terrifying. Mm. So it was, yeah, it was, I think, quite, yeah, quite a big deal to suddenly, I think I did my first 15 of it of Ad libido in the Battersea Arts Centre and um yeah just suddenly being like, Oh, it's just me. I I'm here with the audience and yeah. uh, and then I go home on my own afterwards and I mostly really have loved that. There's quite a freedom of just being like, oh actually I can just turn up. I don't have lots of props to carry and I can
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: do do a bit of comedy and and a bit of sad bit, funny bit, sad bit. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I <laughs> I think like working working out who you are as a performer, because in a sketch group, you will have your own sort of personality within that. Yes. And it's probably a version of who you already are, like you, but turned up a bit or turned down a bit or slightly tweaked. Yes. But it probably will come from a place of truth. So when we decided to take a a year out, I think I was sort of working out what my voice was outside of being in a trio.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's really interesting because you say you had this like 20 minute set that you really thought was just going to be a one off. And yeah. I mean, couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> and <laughs> especially and especially the part where you say you thought no one would be interested because four years later and you're and you're still talking about your vagina
2: i am still i i won't i won't shut up about it
0: um
2: yeah no it's 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 very true i i can't quite believe that four years later i am still doing that it doing it and it's you know still exists in a a stage version um like channel four have made a blap of it and now it's a book
1: yes and then
2: and there's this podcast as well and and we're still talking about like tv ideas for it and so it's I do there is this there is this part of me that's like I I am now vagina girl that's um (laughs) vagina vagina woman sorry vagina woman (laughs) um
1: your alter ego
2: yeah well I think you know and I, I was talking with someone about I was feeling quite I find the world of social media quite overwhelming and not, not a place I like to spend a lot of time in. But a really big part of promoting your work is social media at the minute. Um, and so I was given the advice that I should, when I am on social media, I'm not me. I'm like, I have to put on, yeah. in this person's words, my vag badge.
1: <laughs> That's great.
2: Um, And it is, it's Fran with her vag badge that, does the social media because like there is this point where you're you've been promoting yourself promoting your work and you're like oh god I bet everyone is just like shut up stop talking about your vagina i've come here for a deeply upsetting argument and so yeah i sometimes like writing a tweet would take me several hours
1: social media is a minefield it's it's especially when you're trying to promote not just promote your work but promote something that's very personal to you as well.
2: Yeah, I think so. And I'm. Some people are really good at it. Some people are great, and they they can make social media into their comedy. They can they can really use use it to get the characters out there. Um, but I also think I think and I think it is worth saying because the you know imagining it's it, it probably is not just me. <laughs> um yes. that it's it's just not for everyone. It's not a right fit for everyone. Um, so yeah, I guess it's about find, finding other ways to to make sure people know that that you exist and you're making work. And, and did you
1: find that you were you sort of became a bit more desensitized by the kind of fear or the sort of um, exposing so much about you know yourself and your life in Edinburgh, like because you were doing it every day to audiences of. How many, like sixty people? Yeah, like yeah. Like, did did it just sort of get easier every every day, or was it still always quite obviously always doing a show is nerve wracking, but particularly for this.
2: Well, it is interesting because like it's it is a big vulnerable topic, but the things that you get nervous about are still probably the the same things as if it it was a, sh- a different kind of show. So yeah. you know, I'm still worrying that I've set my props in the right place i'm still worrying that my voice is gonna hold out for the show so i think when you're doing when you're doing in edinburgh or a run that is probably like longer than a week anywhere yes the the content of the show sort of stops mattering and you just go into a bit of a you're like well the the day-to-day of the show well what needs to happen um have i swept up the confetti? Have we got enough <laughs> cards for the audience to write what they wish yes. they knew about sex at 16 on yeah. at the end? Um, I think that you should only make personal work when you've sort of, oh, I was going to say dealt with with whatever it is, but like definitely I think art can be really therapeutic and it can be a way yes. to process uh, your experiences and to make something beautiful, funny, wonderful out of something that's been really hard yes um but I I think it can be too soon sometimes um like even if it's you know there's nothing terribly traumatic in in my show I would say but I think like I was definitely ready to talk about it but had I made that show uh, in my 20s when I wasn't really like talking openly about what was happening? Yes, I don't think I I would have been ready, and so there is a danger with personal shows that every day you are dipping yourself back in.
1: Yeah, you're sort of dredging it up again.
2: Yeah, and you you have to find ways to protect yourself and look after yourself. And for me, like that Edinburgh, I I was maybe quite boring in some ways. Like I. Like, I really looked after myself. I I made sure, like, I had pancakes in the morning when I woke up. Um, And then I would, like, steam my voice and then I would relax and then I'd go and do my show. And then I'd maybe go and see a show. And, but I take it, I took it so easy. And I think in other Edinburghs, I'd been like, oh, I'm in Edinburgh. Ah, yeah, of I have course, to yeah. go and I want to go and see all the shows. I want to be meeting people. I want to be like feel part of the festival. But because this show is so personal, and, yeah. and because it is just me, and I am not the most fit of people, um, <laughs> and it's it's not that it's intensely physical, but I think you know even if it's just someone talking into a microphone for an hour that is really demanding um and you I guess so I guess like you do develop a bit of a a stamina yeah the first year we took kitten killers up to Edinburgh I lost my voice halfway through the run oh my god and it was devastating it was really awful and I could still be in the show and there were bits that I could do but I couldn't do my my song and I couldn't do any sketch that had a, a lot of speaking in it. Yes. And I think that really scared me. So ever since then I've really really looked after my voice um, like steaming it, making sure if I'm somewhere with loud music I'm not pushing my voice. And it's it's re- it feels really boring. You feel like you're being really boring, but
1: Well no, because you you already like this is the why it's good that you'd already done three edinburgh's with kitten yeah. killers yeah because then y- you use that time to experience the oh my god it's edinburgh mm. and like you know you have fun you also like made the mistakes like with losing your voice and everything and it, whereas if you had taken that show as your first show to edinburgh mm. that could have been a really like taxing very tough time in all in so many ways
2: Oh, it would have been awful. And I think I would have been a bit paralysed by FOMO because I would have been wanting to be part of everything, but also knowing that I should be taking it easy. I think it's like September for people that have been to the fringe, unless you're taking your show straight on tour, which some people do, you're burnt out, you're completely burnt out. And so you come back And I I always had to go straight back to work because I was teaching. So, Of course, yeah. We'd finish on like the 29th of August and I'd start teaching on the 2nd of September. Jesus. And I'm really sorry to everyone I
0: taught.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We we might have put on a video quite a lot during those opening weeks of September.
1: And how was it um, adapting the show into the book because obviously we've got to talk about the book yeah yeah tell me how that was in terms of the adapting it to the stage the experience there yeah and if you could keep it really pithy that <laughs> book
2: was good book was good
1: <laughs> <laughs> move on um, no
2: yeah no i i mean I'm a, I'm a big reader i love reading um and i just had this idea that it would make a really lovely book and writing it was really um, wonderful. So I was writing like 10,000 words every three weeks. And then that would go to my editor. And I'd start writing the next 10,000 words for three weeks time, but I'd also get back the notes. So I'd never written anything with that much of a structured timeline before I'd always had like, well, the show will go on on this date. But it was it was really nice to be able to develop some of the characters more and to tell more of the story. But also there are lots of interviews in the book with other people because my experience is so limited and I I don't want to be the the voice of vaginas. Um, So I spent like a lot of the last year like interviewing people, hearing about their own sexual experiences so that it isn't just me and my vag chatting um and I think that that makes a real difference actually um and was really nice because also if when you're just when it's just you and you're talking about your own vagina like it couldn't be more insular um as an experience (laughs) so you are literally
1: going inside
2: literally (laughs) um back back to the womb um it was really good for me Because also because I've been telling the story for four years and I knew what worked in it. And I knew like I knew where I know where the funny bits are. I know where the sad bits are. It's not that the show was feeling tired in any way because it still really works. But I think I'm 34 now. I was 30 when I wrote it and I am 30 in the show. Um, Ah. And in those in those four years, like my my life has, you know, gone on I have had more experiences so the book was really lovely to to bring it more up to date and because the thing is that when you write a show about sex when you write a show that's very vulnerable it does change your life um in really good ways but in some difficult ways as well and I think it was a really nice way I like I don't know what will will happen with the, the future of this story i'm doing i'm taking the show to soho theater at the end of this summer and in my mind that's that's a little bit of a full stop for it yes i think it feels like a really nice way to go actually what's next um yeah put it to bed yeah yeah so to speak and then not get into the bed <laughs> not get into the bed with it <laughs> <laughs> um, to to maybe yeah take it to a bed showroom put it to bed there and then go back to my own home um, abandon
1: it basically
2: yeah yeah but in a in a love it and leave it oh no I mean that's uh, yeah yes <laughs> um, no I I do I do really love it and I love performing it mm. and so having the book come out this year and then doing Soho. Um, that just feels like a really nice way of going. Like, thanks so much, Fran's sex life. You've you've <laughs> given a lot. Like, you've given loads.
1: The uh, last the last section is. It's called chain of character.
2: Beautiful, beautiful. Be-
1: thank you. <laughs> this name has been given to you. By Tom Neenan. hmm And the name is Ina Snipe.
2: Ina Snipe.
1: Who is Ina
2: Snipe? Ah uh, I mean she's a spy. She's actually entirely silent. Um she she's taken her work really, really seriously. Um, and she hasn't spoken since she was Twenty. She's now seventy-five. Oh, yeah. And actually, she um, she got officially fired as a spy, but she won't stop. (laughs) She wants to prove that she is a really good spy.
1: And how long has she been prove trying to prove that? When did she get fired? If she's seventy-five now? Oh,
2: she got she got fired in her early thirties. It was pretty (laughs) tragic. She was spying on a meeting and the way that she was trying to like listen in on the meeting is she'd attached herself to one of those rotating fans you know the ceiling fans Um, so she'd sort of strapped herself Uh to one of those and she was she was just rotating above this highly confidential government meeting Mm -hmm. listening in yes but obviously like when you're being rotated for that long it was a 7 hour meeting um <laughs> you can you can become quite nauseous and oh uh, no yeah she she didn't she didn't have any like motion sickness tablets or polos with her and so she she did end up vomiting directly into the middle of the the very important meeting thereby signaling her presence and um, and ending her career. And she's been trying to prove she
1: could do this for 45 years now, right?
2: Yeah. Every day. Wow. So she doesn't have weekends Every off. Every day. No weekends off. Because what if something happens at the, no weekend? Rest of the weekend? No, that's it. Christmas Day, still spying. Uh, all major holidays, still spying. But the trouble is, because, because she is entirely silent, it's quite difficult for her to relay spying information to anyone so she has to act it out
1: is she a mute or did she decide she didn't want to
2: well she decided she didn't want to be silent well because if if you talk and you're trying to like spy then you'll get caught like people will you know they'll they'll hear you speaking and so she decided that the best way to not get caught is just to not say anything ever and also like the, the trouble was is like when you when you talk you might accidentally give away some secrets yeah so in real devotion to her career path she decided that like, she couldn't she couldn't risk it
1: do you think she's ever going to prove to herself and other people that she can be a good spy before she does pass on into the other life
2: she wants to She wants to go spying. Like, that's how she wants to die. Um, If she she doesn't die in the line of duty, she'll be really, really disappointed. Oh, I see. Um, Right,
1: okay. So she wants to get shot.
2: Yeah. Yeah, or, uh, you know, another spying-related accident. Um,
1: (laughs) Those famous spying-related accidents.
2: Yeah, like, you know, just... Standing behind a door listening in on something, and then someone opens the door too fast and uh, <laughs> hit, hits you in the face, and that is the cause of death. Also, it's a,
1: it's a shame with a name like Ina Snipe, you know, you would have thought she'd be like a famous, renowned spy.
2: Sometimes the name is like. Too good, you know, and living up to your name is really hard.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, if
2: you're like a a baker whose surname is Baker, like you're never that's a that's a big thing to try and live up to. And and she did she did try some sniping for a while. Like she Mm. was a sniper. It was it was just quite a nice way for her to like let out some of her emotions.
1: Well, not even she didn't even sort of. It's not like she had um, to do it, a hit on anyone in particular. She just found that was a good way to to let off steam. Yeah,
2: we all need a hobby. It's just um, <laughs> just a, a bit of like recreational sniping. Mm. It's just yeah. it's good to let off steam.
1: Exactly. You shouldn't bottle it up.
2: Yeah, have goals in the shape of targets, <laughs> and then go to to a place of high altitude and and have a good old snipe.
1: It sounds like the world is missing out on the spying prowess. Of Ina Snipe. Yeah. So that was Ina Snipe. Can you please tell me the name you are going to pass on to my next guest?
2: Yes. uh, The name for your next guest is Vanessa Vongole.
1: Vanessa Vongole. Mm -hmm. Love it. Who is Vanessa Vongole? We shall find out in the next episode of Out of Character. In the meantime, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you as always Fran thank you very much for coming on the podcast you're
2: so welcome thank you for having me
1: I guess the um, plug is the book
2: yeah the book and um, anything else oh just look after yourselves (laughs) drink lots of water keep hydrated look away from your screen every 20 minutes
1: wise words yeah wise words from vagina woman
2: badge badge
0: (laughs)